welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Last week, we looked at how Nehemiah's attempts to start to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem wasn't universally popular. Do you remember? He was starting to come under attack because those who were opposed to Israel weren't very pleased about what they were seeing. They were quite happy to see Jerusalem in disarray and broken. And uh, they started to raise their concerns in increasingly strong ways. And we looked at some of the weapons they started to use. Can you remember what they were? Mockery and ridicule. And it moved on to compromise. Do you remember? Yeah. Mockery, ridicule, compromise. Now, those weapons didn't actually put Nehemiah off. He kept at it and his vision and his passion remained intact. And so we read now, I think it's uh, chapter 6, yeah, chapter 6. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me a message Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message. And each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aide to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are planning to revolt and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come. Let us confer together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. They were trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. 
One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Dediah, and the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in, his, shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God, inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you. By night they're coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away, or should one like me go into the temple to save his life, I won't go. I realised that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. <coughs> Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, oh my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophetess, Nodiah, and the rest of the prophets who have been trying to intimidate me. So, the war was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realised that this work had been done with the help of our God. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah. And replies from Tobiah kept coming to them, for many in Judah were under oath to him, since he was the son-in-law to Shechani, son of Ara, and his son Jehoanan had married the daughter of Meshudam, son of Berechiah. Moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds and then telling him what I said. And Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. So, the first weapons hadn't worked. Nehemiah's enemies hadn't finished with him though, or at least not yet. They tried a third, more powerful weapon. Sambalat sent one of his servants to Nehemiah with this open letter. And in it it said, it's reported among the nations. And so-and-so says it's true, that you, the Jews, are planning to rebel. Here was the next attack. First we had mockery, then we had compromise. What have we got now? We've got downright fragrant lies. It is reported. What was reported? You're starting a rebellion. You're going to plan a takeover and then you're going to be king. You've appointed the prophets already to proclaim that there is a king in Judah. In other words, Nehemiah was being attacked for setting up an authority structure. Now what's interesting is this could have been written in the 21st century because that type of misrepresentation is so common today. 
except today they add a little phrase on the end. When everything else goes wrong and what they said is disproved, people then say, but there's no smoke without fire. And the accusations fly left, right and centre. When the restoration movement first started in the UK in the 1960s, there were loads of rumours. God was doing something in his church, but there were people who were opposed to it and didn't understand it. There wasn't much understanding in many church groups about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Discipleship was a misunderstood term. Tithing in a lot of churches was unheard of. And so other biblical principles had been lost. And people would listen to second and third hand rumours and they'd say things like, we've heard that if anyone in your church wants to redecorate their home or buy furniture, they've got to get permission. Well, I can reassure you, I do not have the slightest intention of telling you how to decorate your house or what furniture to buy. And I'm I'm not qualified to do it. Quite apart from anything else, your house would look a mess, because I don't have a clue in that area. But when that was denied, people would often come up with an even more incredible story. And they would go before it by saying, ah, we know this one is true because we know someone who knows the person concerned. And you could never quite get to the bottom of it. Who was it who had the first-hand knowledge of this? And the reason was, it was all accusations and lies. But as well as the lies, Nehemiah's opponents also were challenging the underlying motivation in what he was doing. They started to claim that he wanted to be king. It's the only reason you're doing this. The only reason you're doing what you're doing is not because God's in it, but because you want to be a king. And that was a total fabrication and a tragic distortion of the truth. When you read the beginning of the book of Nehemiah, it says he heard about the plight of the people in Jerusalem and his heart was moved. It was nothing to do with an intention for grandeur himself. He wanted to see Zion restored. That was his motivation. He wanted to see a pile of rubbish He wanted to see a city set on a hill that couldn't be hidden, built. He wanted to see the purposes of God fulfilled in his lifetime. And when that didn't work, they moved on to another weapon. This time it was fear. Let us meet together in the house of God, within the temple. And let's close the doors, because they're coming to kill you. And they're going to come at night. Nehemiah was being encouraged to withdraw to a place of safety. And there's a subtlety in this one. 
Shemaiah pretended and appeared to be a friend to Nehemiah. Nehemiah had gone around to visit him in his house. And then he said, they're coming to get you, you know. Your life is in danger, Nehemiah. Quick, let's run to the temple and shut the doors so that we're safe. And whenever we move forward in the purposes of God, fear is a formidable weapon against us. Particularly when it comes from a friend. And particularly when they make it sound as though they're looking after your best interest. What will happen to you if you do that? If you give that money to that cause, how will you get through? You know, even Jesus knew this experience. Because when he was heading for Jerusalem, a friend of his went up to him and said, Surely not the cross, Lord. But Jesus replied, Get behind me, Satan. Peter longed for Jesus to save his own life. And in the same way, others will put fear in our lives and make similar pleas to us. Oh, don't do that. It could cost you your home. It could cost you your job. It could cost you everything. But we have a saviour who said that the way we find our life is to lose it. And if we do that, it delivers us from fear. When we give in to fear, we rob ourselves of the wonder of proving God's faithfulness in times of difficulty. So what are the two weapons we've looked at this week so far? Fear. And the first one's gone already, has it? Fear and lies. Okay. Because now we move on to what is possibly the ugliest of all the strategies that was used against him. In verses 17 and 19 of chapter 6, also in those days, many letters went from the nobles of Judah to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oaths to him. Moreover, they were speaking about his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. It's actually disloyalty. And disloyalty is a particularly cruel weapon. It involves people who apparently supported Nehemiah, but were secretly bound in oaths to his enemy, Tobiah. And actually, one of the greatest pains that we sometimes have to bear is when someone who looks as though they support you turns out to be disloyal and talks against you. And the reason is, other enemies are external. But disloyalty penetrates. 
and it wounds our hearts. Jesus was tempted in all things, just like we are. And in Psalm 55, it refers prophetically to some of the things he went through. And we can read, His speech was smoother than butter, but his heart was at war. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. They sounded like nice words of support, but actually they were enemies who were ready to stab him. In verse 12 we read, For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it, nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, for then I could hide myself from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion and my familiar friend. We who had sweet fellowship together walked in the house of God in the throng. Jesus was betrayed by a kiss. And you know, God hates disloyalty. He delights where he sees covenant love. And covenant love means that we are a loyal people. Covenant love means we are a loyal people. Are you loyal? Or do you have feet in two camps? I don't think we have a problem here. But there are many churches that do, where people apparently give their support, but actually their allegiance is somewhere else. And in Nehemiah's day, it was key people who were involved, some of the nobles. And we can find today that people promise their allegiance to church leaders, but then go round complaining. And that particularly seems to happen in churches where leadership is dependent on a member's vote. Oh, I don't really like the way this guy's taking our church, but I'm going to retain my membership there so I can stand against him and hold the church on the course it should be on. Actually, what they're saying is they don't recognise his leadership. In the past, some have belonged to a church that hasn't wanted to embrace spiritual renewal and restoration. And they've clung on there, even though there was no heart for it, in faith that it would change. In fact, what they would often do is go somewhere else midweek and enjoy the charismatic fellowship they couldn't get on a Sunday. Now, sometimes that was out of necessity. But actually, they were attending a church that they couldn't express true loyalty to. 
We can't have a foot in both camps. We can't be two-faced or double-minded. And we, we have to face up to the fact, if there are churches that close their doors to charismatic worship, they have to be prepared to recognise that they're closing their doors to people who desire charismatic worship. And they should be free to go and find the fellowship where they can. And it isn't fair to call those people divisive. Because it is them that is being excluded. God wants a loyal people. He wants us to be wholehearted. He wants us to be committed to a local church. He wants us to be real and to make up our minds and be consistent to a church and a leadership we can support. The sad thing is over the churches that split over issues of the Holy Spirit in the 70s and 80s is actually much more could have been accomplished if there had been grace. And things could have been brought to a conclusion without the pain and the backlash. Where people can honestly and humbly agree to differ and go their separate ways. There's room for us to work together. But historically, tragically, often instead there's been pain. Nehemiah was being confronted by powerful obstacles. Disloyalty, lies, fear, mockery. And compromise. But he overcame them all. Now, he overcame them because his passion, his vision, and his character. Now, in a couple of weeks' time, when we next look at Nehemiah, we're going to look at how he withstood Satan in all these different disguises and weapons that were used. I've deliberately kept it short this morning. Because I want us to pray. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk.